Thank you, Nathan. Thank you, Phil, for leading us this morning. Good morning to you all. You noticed how wonderfully uh, gentleman-like Phil is. I mean that. That's not sarcastic. Um, Did you notice that um, when he was going to read uh, from the contemporary English version prior to our communion, he said, if I may please, as if anybody was going to say, no, you can't. But that's just Phil's way. He, he asks permission for virtually everything. Is that right, Anne? <laughs> uh, it's good to be with you this morning, and thank you for your welcome. And um, uh, if any of you were part of Abbeydale Evangelical Church in 1987, I don't know whether, was anybody here? Yes, one or two. I thought there might have been a few. Uh, 25 years ago, you might remember I preached on these verses. You probably don't remember. Is anybody here at Abbey Church in 2002? Ten years ago. You might remember I preached on these verses uh, ten years ago. Though I doubt it. Um, Actually, it was on the 24th of November, 2002, almost exactly ten years ago, that this passage of Scripture was given to me, albeit with a slightly different theme at that time. And... uh, Inevitably, um, I don't know about you, but I rarely remember the details of sermons. It's much more that actually the, 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 um, the sense of hearing coming under the Word of God week by week and allowing the Word of God to speak to us and the Spirit of God to speak to us um, that is effective. It's very rare, for me at least, that I remember the detail. However, if you're Tim Coldrick, let many of you know Tim. Tim seems to remember so many things. He often quotes my sermons back to me, and I, I, I can't remember what I said, but he remembers them. Maybe you're like that. But uh, my prayer is that God might speak to us afresh this morning through this uh, very challenging passage of Scripture. The theme this morning, you'll know it, the elders have set a little mini-series thinking about the battle we face, or spiritual warfare, and this morning it's about avoiding capture, avoiding capture, and uh, verse 8 of the passage that Nathan read to us a moment ago is at the heart of what that is about. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. See to it that no one takes you captive. And you might say to yourself, well, I'm captive to nobody. I'm a completely free person. I think about what I want to think about. I'm not captive to anybody. But, of course, that's not so. Roger, in his note to me about this morning, wrote this, amongst other things. The aim of the sermon is to show that the enemy is always looking to capture us, particularly our minds, so that we're no longer effective in our witness and life. And... uh, Who is the enemy? Well, of course, the answer to that is Satan. Satan is our enemy. And he is, as Scripture tells us, the father of lies. In fact, maybe you'd like to turn to John chapter 8 for a moment. Go back a few pages in your Bible, find John chapter 8, and we'll read a couple of verses that relate to, uh, to that, the fact that he is the father of lies. John 8, verse 31, Jesus is in the midst of a, of a conversation between himself and the Pharisees, and there's been a bit of a 
debate going on. They weren't very happy about some statements that he'd been making and uh, challenging him about the fact that his testimony wasn't valid. And in verse 31, we find that Jesus says to the Jews who believed in him, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And then the dialogue continues between Jesus and the Pharisees, and there's a continued discussion about things. And they say, well, we're free people. We're not, we're not bound by anybody and anything. Verse 33, how can you say that we should be set free? We've never been slaves. And the dialogue continues. And then we get to verse 42. And Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and now I'm here. I have not come on my own, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. How can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? He who who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. It's very powerful what Jesus says about Satan, isn't it? When he lies, he speaks his native language. He cannot help but tell lies. That is his nature. And he will endeavor to infiltrate our thinking with his lies. A little paper I came across uh, earlier this week that's been really helpful in my understanding and thinking about this morning. It's produced by the London Institute of Contemporary Christianity. And one of the comments in that little paper was that much of our stress comes about because we believe Satan's lies. And they went on to write four things down. There isn't enough time, so I can't rest. There isn't enough resources, so I can't be generous. I'm on my own, so I have to be self-reliant. And this is the one. God cannot be trusted, so I had better trust something else or lean on my own understanding. And that's the one that even for Christians sometimes is true, isn't it? That we sometimes think, I don't know whether I can trust God. Maybe you've never thought that. I hope, in a way, that that is true, that you've never thought that. But many do. Not sure that I can trust God in this particular situation. Something that's happening to us that's bigger than we think even God can handle. And we begin to think, God can't be trusted. Right from the very beginning, Satan was doing that, telling people that God can't be trusted. You remember the story in Genesis 3, when uh, he comes to Eve, as we call her, and uh, he says, why don't you eat this fruit? And she says, I can't eat this fruit, because God said, if I eat this fruit, I'll die. And he says, God's not really saying that, though, is he? That's my paraphrase, but I mean, that's what it's about. He's sowing seeds of doubt in Eve's mind, and that's what he loves to do. He loves to sow doubt in our minds. Can I really trust God in this situation? And we begin to wonder if we can. Satan enjoys persuading us that we're not good enough, or we're too busy, or that others are somehow better than we are, 
And so we're not really up to very much at all, are we? Sometimes he tells us lies the opposite. He tells, tells us that we're essential and that, you know, what's going on can't happen unless I do it. Sometimes we think that uh, no one else does it as good as we do, whatever it is. You know, that I'm the person who does it best, and, and that too is a lie. <laughs> of course, we are to do the very best that we can, but, but he loves to subtly persuade us that we're either not good enough or we're, we're indispensable. And he does it insidiously. Have you noticed that when it happens in you? He doesn't shout at us. He whispers little gentle thoughts in our minds. Are you sure about that? You sure you ought to do that? You sure you can trust God like that? He doesn't shout because if he shouted, we'd think, hang on, I'm being shouted at. I'm not going to take any notice of that. But this quiet little whispering voice that goes on in our heads sometimes. And he tells lies to us. He subtly persuades us that we're not good enough or that we're too good. And then when that happens and we believe his lies, we're paralyzed, effectively, to do anything useful for God. We stop being useful for God. That same article um, had another phrase, and I want to read you another paragraph, rather. They said this, These lies can be reinforced through parental influence, culture, and life events, so that many of our core beliefs are actually ungodly. And they're so intrinsic, so in us, we don't even question them. Maybe we think my value is in what I do. People let you down. God blesses other people, but not me. There's never enough time. It's just my nature. I can't change. And so the list goes on. These lies soon form our expectations, govern our behavior, and lead us to view experiences in a way that reinforces them. They become constraints, choking out the abundant life God intended for us. These lies that Satan likes to tell, that he insidiously, quietly gets into our minds and into our hearts. So, if that's what he's trying to do, how do you and I as Christian people, how do we counteract His lies. Well, it's of course by hearing the truth, in living in the truth. This book that we have read from on a number of occasions this morning, this Bible, is truth to us. The Holy Spirit is truth to us. And we need to fix our eyes on the Word of God and allow the Spirit of God to interpret it for us to enable us to be able to say no to Satan and his lies. Maybe... If you're in John chapter 8, you might like to turn a couple more pages and find John chapter 17. John chapter 17. When Jesus, in praying to his Father in heaven, this lovely prayer that we have in John 17, we come to verse 14 as we have it in our Bibles, and in his prayer, talking to his Father, Jesus prays this, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. 
your word is truth. So if we're going to counteract Satan's lies, if we're going to tell him exactly where he needs to go, we need to have this book at the heart of our lives, the heart of our thinking, the heart of our understanding. When we ignore God's word, when we don't read it regularly, when we don't allow it to impact our lives, then Satan's lies become truth to us because this book doesn't counteract them if we're not allowing it to speak to us. Remember Jesus said in that, those verses that we read, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And he who belongs to God hears what God says. And in that lovely passage in John 14 where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The key to renewing our minds, said somebody, is repentance. Repentance of having believed the enemy's lies instead of God's truth and then replacing the lies with God's word. I wonder if you or I need this morning to repent. To say sorry to God for believing things that Satan whispers in our minds and in our hearts. Whether we need to say, Lord, I'm sorry, I know I shouldn't have believed that. I know it's not true. And whether we need to spend time in God's word, understanding what he has to say to us. Turn to Romans chapter 12, if you would. We will eventually get back to Colossians, don't worry. But uh, these are important verses as well. Romans chapter 12, please. Many of us will know these verses very well, but they're important in the context. Therefore, says Paul, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Paul says you need a renewed mind. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold, was J.B. Phillips' translation of this. Don't let the world say this is how you should think. Allow God to change your mind. Allow him to shape your mind. Allow him to renew your mind. Let God do that. And as a consequence of renewing our mind, I deliberately read verse 3 because it goes on to say, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. A renewed mind leads to correct thinking, a correct understanding of who we are, both in Jesus and amongst our fellow Christians, that I am not better nor worse than my fellow Christians, I am just one of them. That God sees me for who I really am, and he loves me just the same. And our minds need to remind ourselves of that day after day after day, a correct understanding of ourselves, that we might be effective in our walk and in our witness every day, which is what Paul goes on to talk about in Colossians. So let's go back into Colossians where we began and look at the verses around verse 8. Colossians chapter 2. 
Before we get into those verses, I mentioned earlier that um, uh, most sermons that I hear tend not to stick in my head. Uh, I'm not actually very good at remembering things. I have a very poor memory, and, um, but uh, occasionally sermons really do stick, and usually it's just because I've made a few notes. I'm not a very good notes taker either, but I remember listening to a sermon about the Word and Spirit, the Word and the Spirit. I think it was Roger that preached the sermon at Hillview quite some years ago, and I jotted down a couple of things there that are really quite important as we think about truth as we think about the antidote to Satan's lies, because the couple of little notes I made, literally just words, truth is objective, experience is subjective. This is to do with the word and the spirit. Truth is objective, experience is subjective. Two and two is always four. Some mathematicians might tell you that you can't trust maths, but I don't know. But, uh, I, you know, the world over, two and two is four, isn't it? If anybody would like to tell me differently, I'd love to hear from you. But I think two and two is four. That's the truth. It is generally the truth. So truth is objective. Experience is subjective. Truth is general. It's for everyone. The same thing, two and two is for the world over. <laughs> it is the truth wherever you are in the world. That is the case, but experience is personal. Truth is unchanging. It cannot possibly change. If it's true, it's true, it's true. It will always be true, always has been, always will be, is now. But experience is progressive. And then the primacy of truth, the fact that it's first and foremost the truth, but the indispensability of experience. And what I think it was Roger was saying was that you need both. <laughs> you need the word and the fact that it's objective, general, unchanging, and absolutely first, but we need to the experience, which is subjective, personal, progressive, and absolutely indispensable. And the two together, as the Spirit of God molds those things into our lives, makes us rounded, complete Christians. And uh, he finished, whoever it was, and I do think it was Roger, by saying this, truth without experience is hypocrisy, but experience not based on truth is sentiment and could be false. And I think that's worth remembering. And we're helped to hold on to the truth and value the experience that we have by the verses that Paul writes surrounding the verse that we have in verse uh, verse 8, which is the, the heart of our message this morning about no one taking us captive. And as we come towards a conclusion, let me just take you quickly through these thoughts. Verses 6 and 7. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. We are those who have received Christ, and so we are to live in Christ, continue to live in him. I think the root of that word there, uh, live, is, uh, is to walk that steady daily relationship with God. So we have received Christ, so we are to live in him, walk with him day by day. And then he says you're to be rooted like a strong tree is rooted, so that even in the strongest of gales, the tree with deep roots will still stand. And I understand that the the force of the verb there, it's an aorist verb, is that it, 
it once happened, you were rooted. So you can't be uprooted. You are rooted in him. Of course, the deeper the roots, the stronger the tree. The deeper our roots in Scripture and in the truth of what we know of God, the stronger we will be. But it is something that has once and for all happened. Once we have received Christ, we are rooted in him. Nothing can change that. But then we are to be built up in him, it says. Rooted and built up in him. It's a change of metaphor here. He's talking about buildings now, which require good foundations. They require really important foundations. I was, um, uh, it's not a very good uh, picture, but in, as I thought about that, I thought about, um, we've got some building work going on at Redcliffe at the minute, and uh, there's been quite a lot of walls knocked down as a result of that building work. And um, uh, two of the walls are external walls on the ground floor of a three-story block. Um, fortunately, they put steels in to hold the walls up before they took all the bricks out. But uh, it's a sight to behold now. We've got the bottom of this three-story building has is, is got two holes. There's no walls there at all. There's just steels. Uh, there will be walls in the fullness of time, but at the minute, they're just, it's just open. And I'm just thinking how strong that is because the steels are strong. And uh, that's important for us, to be built up strongly in him. The sense here actually is a a continuing building up. It's continual growth. It's not just a a once-in-a-lifetime thing, but a day-by-day building up. And then he says we're to be strengthened in our faith. As we take a step of faith, we discover that God is faithful and we can take another step of faith. And that faith has been taught to us. It's been brought to us. That's what's happening this morning. Your faith, we trust, is being strengthened because you are hearing the Word of God and hearing some thoughts from it which we trust are of the Spirit of God and we can be strengthened in our faith. But faith itself begets faith and we need to trust God and see Him at work in our lives. And then he says we're to overflow with thankfulness, a very important part of the Christian's life. Have you ever met a miserable Christian? Don't put your hands up, but I'm going to. I've met more than one, and it's quite sad. Because actually Christians ought not to be miserable people. That's not to say that we don't have things happen in our lives which are tough and hard and for which we weep over. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about in the ordinary circumstances of life, there are some Christians who are plain, downright miserable. And I know a few. And it's very sad. We ought to be a people who are overflowing with thankfulness for what God has done for us. Of course, we're British, so we don't kind of jump up and down very much, but our hearts ought to be overflowing with thankfulness. Did you miss Mike this morning, by the way, when we sang that last hymn? I did. I was waiting for a hallelujah, and it didn't come. Nobody shouted it, because Mike's not here to shout. Um, If you don't know what I'm talking about, you'll um, have to ask me or somebody else later, but that sense of thankfulness. I have a um, responsibility for leading college prayers on a Friday morning, and we usually have some prayer notes to help us. And I insist that part of the praying is that we have a section where we say thank you. And we list things that we want to say thank you for. 
because we're so busy talking to God about the things we want him to do, we sometimes forget to go back and say thank you. But we ought to be a people whose hearts overflow with thankfulness. <clears throat> so these are important parts of our experience and of walking in the truth as God enables us to. Our time has rapidly run away, <clears throat> so I'm not going to be able to say too much about verses 9 and 10, um, except that they are unbelievable verses, except they are believable. In Christ is God, all of God. And in Christ, we find that we are full of God. <clears throat> that alone is a staggering thought. You and I as God's people this morning are full of God, according to these verses. That's amazing, wonderful. Surely we should be thankful for that. <clears throat> and uh, I think, in, as we think about these scriptures and think about the truth of God's word to us and wanting to bat back to Satan his googlies of lies, um, to use the cricketing metaphor, we're called upon to become in daily experience what we are positionally in Christ. We're called upon to become positionally, sorry, become in daily experience what we are positionally in Christ. We are already made perfect in Christ and we should live in the good and the truth of that. Nigel, uh, N.T. Wright rather, writing about the powers and authorities that are mentioned in verse 10. <clears throat> and I'm going to conclude with this. <clears throat> says this. All power structures, ancient or modern, whether political, economic or racial, have the potential to become rivals of Christ, beckoning his followers to submit themselves to them in order to find a fuller security. The invitation is as blasphemous as it is unnecessary. His people need no one but him. May we live in the light of that and say to Satan when he whispers to us untruths, get thee behind me. Go away. I'm standing on this book. I'm standing on the truths of it. I'm standing on my experience of what I know of God in my life. And our minds and our hearts are protected as the Spirit of God works in us. I conclude with two verses from a psalm. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. May that be true for us as we seek to live for Jesus day by day. Let's take a moment to pray and then we're going to have one song as we conclude. Father, we were challenged earlier that we might sometimes need to repent of believing the lies that Satan whispers to us. And then when we do believe them, we become desperately ineffective in our lives for you and in our witness for you. And so we would want to say this morning, Lord, that if that's been true of us in past days, 
maybe this week, maybe even this morning, that we have believed the lies that he tells us, that you will forgive us. And we say we are sorry for believing them. And we pray that your Holy Spirit might come afresh to fill us, that you might speak to us afresh from your word, and that your word might become more and more at the heart of who we are as your people. Lord, we pray that you will help us to be a people who walk in spirit and in truth, who worship in spirit and in truth, trusting one who is the way and the truth and the life. So touch our hearts, Lord, we pray. Speak into our minds, protect our minds by your spirit that you might be glorified in us in increasing measure as we bring you the worship of our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen.